know to nothing ontological oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Today we're starting another new series that is sure to pop up in your feed occasionally. We'll look at folk tales that originate from different parts of the world and discuss them philosophically. While we are not experts in other cultures, we know that each one has value and meaning that can be explored from our limited viewpoint. Rather than try to interpret the stories from the cultural context, we'll instead apply what we know about philosophy's universal principles to analyzing their content. First up is the Japanese story of two frogs. Once upon a time, in the country of Japan, there lived two frogs, one of whom made his home in a ditch near the town of Osaka on the sea coast, while the other dwelt in a clear little stream which ran through the city of Kyoto. At such a great distance apart, they had never even heard of each other. But funnily enough, the idea came into both their heads at once that they should like to see a little of the world, and the frog who lived at Kyoto wanted to visit Osaka, and the frog who lived at Osaka wished to go to Kyoto, where the great Mikado had his palace. So one fine morning in the spring, they both set out along the road that led from Kyoto to Osaka, one from one end and the other from the other. The journey was more tiring than they expected, for they did not know much about traveling, and halfway between the two towns there rose a mountain which had to be climbed. It took them a long time and a great many hops to reach the top, but there they were at last, and what was the surprise of each to see another frog before him? They looked at each other for a moment without speaking, and then fell into conversation, explaining the cause of their meeting so far from their homes. It was delightful to find that they both felt the same wish, to learn a little more of their native country. And as there was no sort of hurry, they stretched themselves out in a cool, damp place, and agreed that they would have a good rest before they parted to go their ways. "'What a pity we are not bigger,' said the Osaka frog." for then we could see both towns from here and tell if it is worth our going on. Oh, that is easily managed, returned the Kyoto frog. We have only got to stand up on our hind legs and hold on to each other, and then we can each look at the town he is traveling to. This idea pleased the Osaka frog so much that he at once jumped up and put his front paws on the shoulder of his friend, who had risen also. There they both stood, stretching themselves as high as they could and holding each other tightly so that they might not fall down. The Kyoto frog turned his nose toward Osaka, and the Osaka frog turned his nose toward Kyoto. But the foolish things forgot that when they stood up on their great, uh, stood up, their great eyes lay in the backs of their heads, and that though their noses might point to the palaces to which they wanted to go and the places they were going, their eyes beheld the places from which they had come. Dear me, cried the Osaka frog, Kyoto is exactly like Osaka. It is certainly not worth such a long journey. I shall go home. If I had had any idea that Osaka was only a copy of Kyoto, I should never have traveled all this way, exclaimed the frog from Kyoto. And as he spoke, he took his hands from his friend's shoulders, and they both fell down on the grass. Then they took a polite farewell of each other and set off for home again. And to the end of their lives, they believed that Osaka and Kyoto, which are as different to look at as two towns can be, were as alike as two peas. That's a cool story. That's an interesting one. Um, 
we won't dwell on it too long, but let's let's kind of go over a little bit of of information before we delve into it. Mm-hmm. Um, folk tales sometimes have mysterious origins. Do we know anything about this? When it was written, or who it was written by? Uh, there, I have found no no distinct point at which it emerged. It, it goes back at least to the eighth century, hmm. uh, the Western time frame, and. When I was directing children's theater, I, I used a number of uh, folk tales. I didn't actually uh, use this one, but uh, I had a number of Japanese students, and I was consulting them, and they had encountered some of the stories, some of the stories they'd never heard of either, and so it was a marvelous uh, collaboration. But uh, in looking at the tales, now they go way back. It's like trying to determine what, what was the first King Arthur tale, and, and we keep finding older ones going back to, like, 5th century, 4th century. Um, so it's not really as important as the, what somehow gets translated in. And remember, the translation I'm reading is an English translation, which came from a, a, a story collector who from Scotland who was translating the Japanese story in the late 1800s. And so it's not a purist story. Yeah, it makes you wonder. You can tell that the, that the story itself has... Um, a very um, English ring to it, you know, and it makes you wonder. Well, I wonder what in the original language what it what it sounded like. Yeah. Um, but it 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 is important to kind of look at, you know, even if we can't de- determine who wrote it or the exact date, just its context um, within history, because you know you think about just how long history is, right? The eighth century. Um, that means this story was written closer to you know, Plato and Aristotle than it was to where we are now. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So very old. Um, and there was much, and, 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 and uh, the history of any country, of course, is complex. And because of the ancientness of, of the Japanese culture, I've, I've, I have a, a deep and abiding and growing fondness of uh, learning still. Uh, there are so many issues that run through the culture about, as with many, about class and about uh, purposes. And, and uh, Kyoto and Osaka are very, very different cities. <laughs> and they have been, uh, one becomes a cap- the capital of, of Japan eventually, but one's a fishing port. Yeah, what can you what can you tell us about them? How how far away are they? How you know? Well, I should be able to tell. I, I'll have to look on my phone. I think it's about thirty five miles. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's see. not. It, it's well. It's not a huge distance. So mm-hmm. More than from our our local Warsaw to Perry. But like you said, um, Osaka was was on the coast kind of a, a fishing city and Kyoto was um the capital of Japan in in early early Japanese history uh, and, and after the uh, Edo uh, yeah and something interesting time. that I that I was reading um as I was doing some research for it was that um you know it's kind of in, in our western view it's easy to think of you know like here in in uh the United States, you know, Washington, D.C. is the capital, right? But in Japan, you had, you know, Kyoto was was a capital, a political center, you know. Hmm. And then, you know, there was Edo, which is Tokyo, um, that was sort of on and off. And then Osaka was kind of a, an economic center, right? you know, and they had, um, you know, Edo is where, like, the shogun lived and that sort of thing. So, it was a complex sort of thing. It's sort of like, um, you know, if if 
Kyoto at that time was Washington, D.C. Um, Osaka was sort of like New York City almost, maybe yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So do you, do you think there's an importance in mentioning the different environments the frogs were from other yeah. than pure contrast? Well, yeah, because I think there's something embedded in this. Again, I, I'm speaking as a Westerner, uh, but – I think that the, the, the beauty of folk tales is they aren't universally saying exactly the same thing across times and, and various iterations of cultures, but there's still some commonalities. And, and I think the idea that uh, is partly that the economic location and political power location are not interchangeable. Both need to be understood. Both need to be uh, experienced. Uh, I mean, it's really interesting. It, it takes me sideways for a minute, and I don't know where the philosophy is, is in this, but there was an imperative for a, a long time in our in American culture. Well, not a long time, a couple of generations, where high school seniors would take a senior trip. And the senior trip for most of that time was to Washington, D.C., at least in, in New York State, the state in which I grew up. And and now it's to Miami or to Orlando or to a place of fun and capitalistic uh, generation. It's like, oh, well, why would we want to see the home of political power and authority in the country? Well, you know, it, it, that's changed vastly since I was a kid. But I think of the two frogs when I think of that. If you think, well, where, where, do, where would kids want to go? <laughs> right. Yeah, and even deeper than that, do you think mentioning the environment the frogs are from? So you had the Osaka frog. So he's on the coast in the economic center, and he lives in a ditch. And then the Kyoto frog lives in a, a clear stream in, in the in the political center. What, do you think that there's – did he lay that out for, for a purpose, or is that just sort of flavor for the story? Oh, I think it's both. I, I think, yes, they do not – because this is the nature of the story. We know they do not come from the same place in the same circumstances. But they end up convincing themselves that they have. And that's where the philosophy really takes off for me. So it's good that you brought that up because uh, when we convince ourselves that we are, we don't need to experience anything. We won't experience something if we're afraid that it's just going to be the same. Why should we bother? And we do preconceived notions and we don't see what's really there. We mislead ourselves then we miss uh, growth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we miss learning how somebody else lives. This, the story reminds me of a, of, of a cultural exchange project, so to speak, that my college roommate and I were still friends you know, they, uh, uh, had. Uh, after a freshman year, he said he wanted to bring me to New York City and spend a, a week. And uh, I was from... Yeah, not middle class circumstances. I was from very working class circumstances, and and his father worked very hard, but he was a Wall Street, uh, something of a Wall Street um, significant power, a lovely family, and very kind. But the, the the stretch between where how we'd grown up and yet we were friends was fascinating. And and then he came into uh, rural Western New York. And experienced time with my family, and 
And I think that's why we bonded. That's super interesting, right? Because that's as if the Osaka and the Kyoto Frog actually made it to their destination. Right, make it to the stream and make it to the They didn't just meet on the mountain and go their separate ways back home. Mm -hmm. They met on the mountain and then they they continued on. Yeah. Um, And the value in that versus what the frogs took away from their experience at the end of of the folktale. Oh, yeah. Yeah. um, It's getting at the moral. But before we get there, we'll look at a couple other things. Um, real quick, do you know, was travel a common pastime in Japan during that, that period, or was this something that would be kind of rare? No, travel, travel is, I don't know, I, I, I am not an authority to be able to say that travel was, uh, equal to the kind of travel that, that we would have, well, we didn't have a travel here. <laughs> the, the, the indigenous peoples traveled here on this, this land at, at that time. And there was much travel among uh, the groups, tribes, and nations of Native Americans. Um, and in, in Europe, <laughs> uh, there is a lot of travel. There's a lot of road. I mean, we, you know, we have the, the so often religion, religious based, uh, travel of, of, of the Canterbury tales. You're walking here to do a pilgrimage. And so you're, you're going in a group to protect each other. Travel was often in a, in a group. So to, to have two individuals, that might be unusual. Hmm. Yeah. It's just interesting. Um, do you think there's significance to them meeting on on the mountain in the story? <laughs> oh yes, yes, because in most folk stories, everything has a purpose, and and uh, you have to expend the energy to get up that mountain. They hopped and hopped to get there, and then uh, you got to take a long break. And you would think that from the mountaintop, the world view that they could get would be sweeping and 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 knock them themselves out and because of their silliness they missed the whole point of the vista yeah that's that's the interesting part right is the author of the story goes to the length of describing their their journey up the mountain right yeah, yeah. the mountain is very tall it required lots of hops to get to the top <laughs> so what does that tell us about the frogs it tells us they were committed to their journey on the outset right they they had a strong motivation to see this other part of their of their country mm-hmm. um but then they get to the top and and something interesting happens right so do you think you know like you just said these these the interesting thing about these folk tales right is that in most cases they're very they're pretty short but the language in them leads you to to really examine each each piece and think, well, what what's the significance mm-hmm. to this? Do you think there is significance to them um, the hesitation before they start speaking to each other? They see each other on top of the mountain. They're shocked that they see another frog, mm-hmm. and then they they hesitate. Yeah, I, I think that's where we we apply the anthropomorphic. <laughs> we give the human qualities to the to the animals <laughs> for folk tales. Folk folk tales allow us a way to explore things with avatars of a kind and, and and thus it's a mediated experience yeah of course i hesitate because wouldn't we if we get to the top of a mountain we see somebody else coming up is our first thing to say hey oh hey look um hmm. hi right. <laughs> and with humans right like like you and your friend right if you didn't know each other and you met 
halfway between New York City and, and Warsaw at a at a rest stop or something. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're the only ones there. You walk and you see each other. With humans, um, there's telltale signs, right? That, you know, okay, maybe you're wearing jeans and a, and a flannel shirt. Maybe he's wearing a suit or something. And you know you're from vastly different environments. With frogs, it's not so clear because we're looking at it from a human perspective. But who knows? Maybe maybe this uh, this frog on the coast was a different species from the one in the stream, and, could it, and they could, could tell been. by looking at each other that they weren't they weren't the same type of of frog. I, I I like to think so because again, going back to what you pointed out before, a clear water frog and a muddy frog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they hesitate, and that hesitation is probably put in there by the author to. To send that same significance that we'd have, you know, like you said, he's anthropomorphizing them. He's saying, put yourself in the shoes of the frog, right? You, you've climbed this mountain. You've you put all this effort into going to this other place. Yeah. And then you get to this midway point. You've put, you've expended all this effort to get to, and you see this other creature that's, that's like you, but different. Right. And then they find out that they're the, this stranger that's that's very different from them um is from the place that they are heading to right Mm -hmm. so do you suspect that in their conversation we don't know what they what they discussed beforehand but do you suspect they discussed their respective homes at all before they got into this Uh, i don't think so i don't think so I, so. I, i don't have any sense of that and and that too is human I mean, even if we say, well, I'm from Warsaw and I'm from New York, well, okay, where's Warsaw? I'll tell you where. First, we do the geographical. Oh, that's close to or down. Whenever I'm telling people where I'm from, it's, it's like on a triangle halfway in between at the apex point, Rochester and Buffalo. Mm-hmm. So I'm defining the place by the bigger places that are around it. Right. Uh, so, no, I, I don't think that they, they did, but the, the, the oh, We'll get there when you want us to. I just uh, yeah, I think I think we're getting there, so I think we can talk about it some. But yeah, I think that there's um, you you have an habituation about your own home, right? Mm-hmm. And so the things that make it special, you you be, become background, and eventually you start to think that there's not really anything special about your home at all, right? And it doesn't matter where your home is. Um, so you know. F- there's a, there's a thing I've seen this a few times um, written about how New York people in New York City hate um, tourists because New York City folk are just trying to go about their day and all these tourists are just standing in the middle of the sidewalks gaping at buildings and things and and they have to walk around them and stuff and the tourists think that everybody in New York City is extremely rude because they're just bumping into them and not speaking to them and all this other stuff. But it's two different perspectives. These people in New York City, they're sort of oblivious to the 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 grandeur of of this giant city because they live there every day, right? The same way that um, I think I've said it before on the podcast. My my wife's grandma, her favorite animal is the cow, right? Because she lives in she lives in the city, so she, she comes out to to where we live and she sees cows and she thinks it's the greatest thing. Well, right. if you're from here, no. you don't think you no. don't you don't give a second thought to cows. There, there's more cows no. than there are people. So you yeah, whatever. They're no, it like, has to be said though. I mean, I have to insert this because a have you been to New York a number of times? B having an adult uh, child who lives and works there and studies. Uh, and my own experiences in New York. Uh, yeah, there are some people who bump into you when you walk along and the pace is somewhat faster. 
but I've been helped many times by people on the street. Ask a question. Usually somebody's going to give you an answer. And, and many people in New York depend upon the trade of tourists. Not, not everyone, of course. Uh, and, and then we have this, this whole, the, the, well, we, <laughs> the rather, uh, misbegotten notion that somehow we should separate because the, the, the country mouse is not like the city mouse. And so we in the country have a different set of morals and values, which is totally nuts. And then, <laughs> and so we can't have anything and, and we don't need the city. They need us. Well, in, Point of fact, we need each other, but if it push came to shove, the city would do a lot better on its own than it would with us. So it's, it's all, all that comes in my head with the story, but it's because the story forces us to take our, our assumptions and start to unpack them. Yeah. And, and I mean, the assumptions here are even about the idea of borders and cultural identity to an extent, yeah. right? Because the, we've already laid out, um, the author laid it out um, sort of implicitly, and we've sort of demonstrated to outside readers um, that Osaka and, and Kyoto are different places. Yeah. And we've used our, our own hometowns to, to kind of demonstrate mm. that effect. And I think this is relatable to, to pretty much everybody. And it doesn't matter where on the globe you are, um, you live in a place that has a very um, defined cultural identity, mm-hmm. but there's probably also places within your same country that are vastly different. If you don't live in a place like Monaco or <laughs> the Vatican, right? <laughs> yeah. If yeah. you don't live in a tiny country, there's probably some place in your country where you go, much like these frogs, you top to the top of this mountain, you see this and you go, well, this thing's the same as me, but it's completely different, right? <laughs> and it raises that question, right? So the United States, you know, you can go, if if you if I go down to Louisiana and try to understand what somebody's saying in a Cajun accent, I might have an extremely difficult time. We might have very different values. Same thing in New York City, same thing in uh, Minnesota or where, wherever you go, it's going to be wildly different. Yet, if you zoom out to the macro scale, we have some sort of unifying bond of being Americans and we we cast everybody else as the other. The, it's the the right. outside world, right? Right. When you and I can drive forty five minutes and be in Canada, um, and is the culture different? Yes, but but how different are these people on 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 a, the level of being human from you and I? Right. Mac- macro at more, and we're all just these these as Carl Sagan says, we're on this pale blue dot, and we're just a bunch of. <laughs> A, a bunch of of, of human beings uh, on this little tiny stone. Yeah. So yeah, I think that when these frogs met, and at first they hesitated, then they started talking. I think that it's probably a safe assumption that they didn't talk about their hometowns because they probably were so used to them. And as a matter of fact, the whole purpose of their journey is it was to get away from their hometowns and experience new things. That um, they probably didn't mention anything about their hometowns. And I think if they did, they might not have been so easily fooled when they, you, when, you, you would know. think, yeah. And, and so, th- so this puts us on things that we have talked about in very different terms uh, in our podcast. This is a folktale that brings up the idea of phenomenology. This is a folktale that brings up the idea of, 
of how we mistake reality. What is reality and what do we construct as reality? Uh, what are the objects we see and how do we determine what they are? It's also about not knowing yourself. Uh, I want to know more, so I want to go see a new place. That's a fine motivation. People should do it. But, but if you don't know your yourself well enough to know that if you stand up on your legs, in this case with these two frogs, that your eyes are going to be tipped backward, and you don't even know that about your own being, it suggests a, a humility that has been forgotten, or it suggests a not knowing this that could be explored, that that's really deep. Yeah, embedded in the story. Yeah, and I had, I had I had an experience similar to this recently, where um, me and my wife have been talking about you know traveling the country and seeing seeing things, you know. And um, I work with a guy who's from Arkansas, and I said, "Oh, Arkansas." I said, "Well, is there anything really to, to see there?" He said, "No, there's nothing. All it is is farms. <laughs> it's just garbage." He's like, "Honestly, it's not too different from around here. It's just so hot, you can't do anything." And you know, and all this. <laughs> Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> and then um, I was talking with my mom um, and she mentioned going down to visit one of our family friends in Arkansas several, several years ago. Mm -hmm. And I said, I asked her the same exact question. Is there anything to see in Arkansas? Oh, it's a beautiful country. They have a national park with all of this stuff. It's incredible. You, you have to go sometime, right? They have great Shakespeare, which, yeah. which comes back and forth between Perry and Arkansas, the, the two teams of actors who have intersected and built something in their hmm. own smaller places. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So it's a wild connection, but it goes to show um, our presuppositions about our own places, about other places. And then, you know, how, how little they mean unless you actually go to this other place. Right. Yeah. So, perception perception think of do you remember we were last week we, i think it was we were talking about how so easily a a, a mailbox of, can be a person until you right. get close to it and this is there's a buddhist element in this story uh, so that uh, it, it's almost a koan a, a paradoxical it, it, there are elements of that in it, uh, where, which can lead to an epiphany of, of, of a kind. So it is a rope, a snake, or you know, depends on how you're looking at it. Yeah, is Osaka Kyoto? Kyoto? No, for them it is. Yeah, and that's that's interesting. Um, so why do you think? So they climb up this mountain, right? They expend all this effort. Why do you suppose? It's the value of their journeys was questioned specifically the Osaka frog. So this frog from, from this economic center who lived in the ditch, right? He says, yep. you know, well, he's already put in all this effort. He's gone, you know, roughly 17 miles. He's climbed a mountain. Right. Yeah. And now he's saying, well, if only there was a way for me to know if it was worth going to Kyoto, why, why do you think that thought even occurred to him after making it that far? Because he's taken evidence of his eyes. Because he's, what he's, is it worth it? If it looks like my own place, why would it be worth it? But, but wouldn't it be anyway? Can you not meet new, as you just said with the Arkansas story, surely you're going to meet new frogs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, well, I think the interesting part about this too is the timing of it. He questions it before they've seen, mm -hmm. right? This is before they stand yeah, you're up. you're right, you're right. Yeah. So, 
it's so the thoughts occurred to him and my i guess my my guess yeah. of that would be so they they have this discussion then they find out that each frog is from the other place yeah i almost wonder if the frogs painted their own cities in um derogatory or or they downplayed the places they were from and maybe that's what introduced second thoughts into their into the osaka frog's mind about well is it even worth it to go to kyoto if this is what yeah no it's a good thought because as you just said about if you listen to that one person about arkansas and i did after he said that to me i thought oh well okay you know i can't really think of you know many landmarks there that you know maybe it's not worth going out of my way to to go there mm-hmm. and even you know, even being a, a, a philosophically minded person and somebody who, um, you know, is, is pursuing uh, a degree as a, as a social scientist and knows the importance of sample sizes and this sort of thing, right? I still took this one opinion and yep. thought, well, <laughs> this guy's actually been there and he says that it's, there's no redeeming qualities to it. So maybe yeah. maybe there's no reason to go. Now, when I was presented the opportunity, you know, when somebody else let me know that they had also been there. I did want to hear their opinion, but in the case of the frogs, there was nobody else. It was just the two of them. That's right. And so if I was one of those frogs and this other frog said, well, you know, I, I live there. There's nothing to see. It's not really a big deal. That's why I'm going to see your place. Right. Maybe, the, maybe I would have thought, you know, oh man, this has been a hard journey. Is it really worth keeping on? You know? Yes. And, that, and I, absolutely. That's a, a bedrock important part of, uh, of the, the story because, I think, uh, among other things, it's about how we form uh, quick opinions and overgeneralizations on very little evidence. And we don't question uh, often enough uh, why we are coming to those things. Right. I think that's the big the big moral of, of the tale, is that exact thing. Wouldn't you have noticed when you came back down off your legs that your eyes were sweeping over the sky back to the person in front of you? which would mean that you were looking behind you, but they're not even paying attention to how they see. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting. So do you think, what's the importance of them helping each other up, you think, versus um, not just finding a, a higher piece of ground where they could see the cities or or maybe using a tree to prop themselves up or something? Mm-hmm. Do you think there's something in there about them them helping each other up? I do. Um, I, I enjoy reading about Zen and about Buddhism, and 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 there's Buddhism is, and 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 Zen Confucianism. There's a complicated thing we won't try to untangle at the moment. But in in all of that, um, I think there's a, an idea that we recognize no matter what tradition we come from, which is the first thing you do you offer to lift someone up or do you offer to put them down do you do you offer light or do you offer night <laughs> and and i think there's a, an element of that in in this story where they reinforce each other's misimpressions rather than saying hey wait a minute um, maybe we should hop up a tree or, <laughs> or, or maybe we could like hop over to this, this uh, edge of the cliff and, and look together and, and tell each other what we're seeing. But they don't offer that positive. They, 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 hey, it's a good idea. Let's look over each other's shoulders. But 
then it's done. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're kind of they're sort of in it together. And again, that's it's revealing something about the the relationship people have and the influence people have over um the, the, their thinking, right? This, mm-hmm. Like I just said with with the other guy that I knew, this sample size of one, right? It was able to to prop up in a, an opinion that yeah. turned out not to be not to be it, 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 it canted your view and so or maybe it is i haven't been there yet we'll see <laughs> maybe there is nothing there i doubt it though you know and it, i think it depends on what eyes you're looking with you know as well i i can't think of many places i've been where i didn't think that there was something special or unique about them, right you know mm-hmm. so it all depends on, on how you're looking at it um what does their reaction tell us about their mindset we've explored this a little bit <laughs> But what do you what do you think that, that that tells us? They they look up, they see their own cities, thinking that's the other cities. Yes. And what's now we're getting at the big moral of this. Of we this we are, and I and I think that you're right to go to the new. We have to, well, with, with any tale, especially a short one, the compression means that every word uh, is is contributing something that we need to pay attention to. So you 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 said that earlier, and and we need to look at their response. And of course, depending on the translation of the story, you're getting slightly different versions of the response. Well, uh, Dear me, said the, cried the Osaka frog, Kyoto is exactly like Osaka. It is certainly not the worst such a long journey. I shall go home. If I had any idea that Osaka was only a copy of Kyoto, I should never have traveled all this way, exclaimed the frog from Kyoto as he spoke. Now, one of them asserts that Kyoto is exactly like Osaka, which implies an equality. One of them asserts that that, uh, Osaka is just a copy of Kyoto. There's not an equality there. Yeah, and I think that this comes back to the the context of the frogs, right? You have Osaka, which is a, a working sort of town, and a frog that that is in a ditch, which you know could be metaphorical of a, of a mine or of a, of a farm field or whatever you want to take from it. Then you have Kyoto, which is which is a political center, and you know you have a, a frog that's in the clear clear stream. You know, it's setting this sort of lofty expectation. So it sort of makes sense, right, that this frog that is from the capital and, and all this stuff would think that other cities are just, just imitating us, are imitating us. Whereas a frog from from a working city might say might be more inclined to, you know, thinking about, um, you know, this would have been before industrialization and stuff, but but the standardization, right, of plowing a, a field or building a road sort or a fishing sort of thing, process, yeah, fishing. that that's that it's just all the same, you know. It's interesting that the, the the language that's used when they're talking about them. Yes. Um. Yeah. To me, I think that you know the, the reaction tells us about that mindset a little bit, right? And we've we've talked about this a little bit. There's this macro um, view that that trumps the micro view. So if you're on top of a mountain, it makes you wonder, right? At, at the end of the at the end of the story, it does say that these two cities, if you were to look at them, they're as different as can be, and the mm-hmm. frogs out there is two pieces in a pod but it almost makes you wonder from from 17 miles away 
or however far away you get, how different can a city look, right? You know, I think that 21 miles is the farthest you can see before the curvature of the earth. Right, and this is 56 kilometers, and so you know, 35 miles or yeah. whatever you're saying. So. so if it's that far away, you know, it's and especially easy little. <laughs> yeah, and this is before the age of skyscrapers and these sorts of things. So. You know, there's what are the chances that these cities actually from that distance would look it's any a, different? A marvelous right? point. And so, even if you have frog eyes, and I don't, I don't remember how frogs see, yeah. but that's not really. <laughs> and that creates this interesting question, right? If you zoom out far enough, um, there's this homogenization of things, and it doesn't matter what you're looking at, whether it's cities or space or whatnot. You look up in the sky. You see the stars, some are a little bit brighter. Some might have a reddish tint or something, but for the most part, they're pinpricks of light in, in the sky. But these stars are, some of them are exponentially larger or smaller. Some of them are violent. Some of them have planets. Some of them, you know, are, are not stars at all, but ne gas nebulas and, and these <laughs> sorts of things. They're very different. And the same could be said of cities. Like we were talking about um, with, with New York City, right? You're saying... Okay, so yeah, there is this stereotype that New Yorkers are are rude and in a hurry and, and don't like outsiders. And that might exist for a reason. There's certainly people that feel that way. But there's also people that are willing to help, you know, outsiders and, and do these sorts of things. Yeah. And um, I remember when I went to New York City, right? That's I had that preconceived notion of New Yorkers. And then we were approached by this guy in the street and said, hey, you want to see a comedy show? I said, here, I'll sell you tickets, 10 bucks. All you got to do is, is buy a drink when you get down there. I said, oh, okay. As soon as I bought the tickets, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a scam. Like there's no comedy club or whatever. That was my first thought, of right? Yeah. And we, we went and then we're going into this dark, small basement. I'm like, oh, yep. now we're going to get robbed. It's worse than a, it's worse than being a scam, right? It's not just that it doesn't exist. They're going to like actually Shanghai me or something, right? We walk in. It was what the funniest comedy show I've ever mm. seen. It was great. It was the best money I ever, you know, I ever Because spent. so many performance venues in New York are down below the street and these little I went to a marvelous blues club the same way you would not know from the outside, from the neon side, and that's essentially a down the steps. You have to take a risk. Right. And it's that micro viewpoint, right? So the city might be this cold, uninviting thing from a macro viewpoint. Um, but when you get in there and you start exploring things, you see all of these little things. And from block to block or building to building or person to person, there is things that are that are valuable and meaningful and and worthy of, of exploring. Mm -hmm. But despite all its grandeur, you know, if you zoomed out far enough, you know, if you if you gave me a, a satellite photo of New York City versus, you know, Beijing or France or whatever, you know, whatever. if yeah. you don't give me like the, the water landmarks to let me know what continent I'm looking at, you just give me a bird's eye view of a city. I don't know what city it is, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and so yeah. with these frogs, you know, there's there's this there's this importance and and it works the other way too, not just for city, not just for the city, but for but for small towns like this as well, you know, we live in a place where, like I said, you and I, we might sit here and think, oh, well, it's just whatever. It's just a podunk little town. We live right next to Letro State Park and people yeah. travel from all over the world to see that. Right. And so you, you get used to it. But then every once in a while, 
you drive through the park and you see the gorge and you go, no, this is something very special and very cool, you know, and you start exploring it and you find fossils and you find all this other stuff and you go, this is an extremely interesting place. And there's there's a lot of value to it, and you and and you and and, and even and that is absolutely true from the, from the geological geographic view, the aesthetic view. But even in our small towns that, that we live in, there are people who would help other people. There mm-hmm. are people who. There are also as as, as my, you know as proportionate I would guess uh, perhaps. Not the same because of the vast differences in numbers, but there are also people who wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, and I'm, I'm not asserting a relativism about this, but I, like any of us, can can uh, at tired moments default to, oh, this place is all X, right? And and it's just it's not so. Sometimes it feels very much so. Um, but the the other mistake that they make, and the, at, at the end of the tale, they hop back down the mountain, they hop back home, and to the end of their days, they always thought that they were the same, which means they talked to nobody else about Arkansas. They they talked to the one person, one being, and 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 that confirmed uh, a set their view. However long they lived, that view didn't change. Or perhaps even worse, and may, I mean, even darker translations, maybe they did. And maybe everybody from Osaka had nothing good to say about Kyoto, right? Uh, Much so. like this, like where we are, right? right, right. Our, yeah, like you talked about <laughs> wanting to separate upstate from downstate and this stuff. You well, know, there are a lot of people around here that don't have anything good to say about New York City. My brother tell, told a very interesting story to me when I was talking to him the other day. He had a guy um, who was from New York City come up and do um, – he was doing some furnace work hmm. for my brother. Hmm. And um, he lived in New York City, but um, he was trying to establish a business out here. Mm-hmm. And um, my brother was just talking to him about the city and, and what he thought and that sort of thing. And the guy, you know, he went on and on about how how great New York City was um, and how, how terrible our area was. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he mentioned how, um, you know, him and his wife and his kid lived in a 900 square foot apartment and they could barely pay the bills. And, you know, he didn't he didn't have like a parking spot. So he'd have to walk six blocks to get to his company truck and, you know, and was just struggling, just struggling to scrape by to survive. And my brother said the kind of money he makes, he could own a palace out here. Mm-hmm. Right. He could have acres and acres of land and have this beautiful house and yeah. he could have anything he could possibly want. If he was in this area, he just wouldn't be able to, you know, <laughs> go to wherever it is to go to the the, the club or the or the uh, twenty five restaurants in the space of two blocks or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, it, it's it's that's a, a fine story because it it does indicate the, the complexity. I mean, I've encountered people it, it, when it, in my teaching uh, back uh, Perry and Warsaw. Which are what, seven miles apart, with a with a hill <laughs> in between, <laughs> and people talk about periods if it's the other side of the earth. Not everybody, but some, or 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 another town in Wyoming County where we live called Arcade, and Arcade is just like the other side of the world, indeed, because you have to travel 
oh, 25 minutes. <laughs> right. You know, and 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 I and I smile about it because it's just a micro view. The same kind of thing happened. Mm. Oh, those people in arcade, or oh, those people in Perry, they think X, Y, or Z. It's wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, and it, we're looking at the same distance scales, right? Thirty-five miles, maybe less than that. Um, but we live in a different in a different time than the frogs, and, and sure, we're, we're taking for granted the frogs are anthropomorphized. They're they're essentially humans in, in frog skins, but. Um, but still, like with everything that we know about the world and, and the access to information that we have and, you know, the very sort of um, cognitive pitfalls that we've we've just identified in ourselves, we still do it, yeah. you know, and it's it's fascinating because, you know, much like we were just talking about big cities, if it if it holds true for the big cities, it definitely holds true for this small town. Right. You know, people talk about it like they're two completely different places. You wouldn't have to zoom out that you you, you wouldn't need a satellite. You need like a twin prop plane to to look from the sky and say these are they look exactly the same. There's no, there's no that's true. This 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 takes to me for me this takes me to an existential thing now. Hmm. <laughs> as odd as that may sound. So in in the existentialism of, of uh, not Martin Heidegger but uh, Kierkegaard. Uh, who's really writing about this first? Uh, he he talks about fear being different than anxiety. Fear is the threat from the exterior. Anxiety is a threat perceived from the interior. I think there's some of that in. It can, can be read into uh, an understanding of this folktale, even as old as it his roots uh, seemingly are. And and the the existential choice, and he, he talks about walking to the edge, like looking off the mountain, going to the, the cliff, going to the the wall over Letchworth Park, and then people come and stand up on the wall, and and there's always that: Am I going to fall? Should I fall? <laughs> Should I do that? What would that be like? No, I don't. What am I talking about? Right? And and, and most people think that there's a, they have this psychological barrier that is just going to protect them of course i'm not going to fall i'm not going to get on that wall i'm not going to go too close to the edge uh, but kierkegaard asserted that that's just a flimsy little little notion in our head and that what we really do without even being conscious of it is we decide moment to moment to moment to live hmm. uh but we always could fall off. We always could make that jump. But we, we, we decide not to. And the choice is the vertigo of freedom. The anxiety of freedom is that we know that we always have that choice. Hmm. And, and, and now this story is not talking about jumping off a cliff. But it is talking about a view off a cliff. And when you reinforce your view that, oh, well, I'm not even going to think about going over the other side of that mountain because then you've made yourself feel uh, self-assured, uh, disappointed, and safe, which means uh, in existentialist terms that you uh, have bad faith. <laughs> yeah, it, it boils down to this this idea of, of risk, right? You know, it's everything in life is a risk. Even you know, going getting in your car to go to work. Mm -hmm. um, but the more risk there is, the more we start to to sort of second guess some of those things. And you know, certainly 
those when you're put at the limit, you know, the edge of of life and death, and making that choice, it becomes it becomes very um, apparent. But these frogs, after making this long journey and, and getting all the way to the top and having to take a rest and, and doing all this stuff, and then probably reinforced by their conversations with each other, now there's this other part of it. Well, I could just go home and, and be comfortable again, right? Maybe I should take a look and see if this is worth doing. And I think that kind of leads us into the import- what's the importance of the metaphor in the frog's anatomy? <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, it's that they they hug each other essentially. They lean on each other, so there's a connective moment. We will help each other see the wrong things. <laughs> Our anatomy has caused us to help each other see the wrong things. Well, I think the metaphor in there for, for, for us, for our own time, is is desperately Im- important. Not that we are frogs, but we reinforce seeing the wrong things uh, sometimes. Yeah, and I think the connection sort of comes down to, um, you know, frogs... And, and you know it's not a mistake. This was this was a, an excellent artistic choice Good to choice. use frogs because yeah. frogs are laid out in such a way that they can't stand on their back legs by themselves. You know they they're not meant to stand that way. Their eyes are on the top of their head, so they're they're not meant to try to gain that vantage point and look forward at something. Um, and so as a result, they're they're using their natural tools in an improper way and coming to a, the wrong conclusion. Yeah. We've That's what we've been talking about this whole time with humans, right? Except rather than our eyes being on top of our heads, it's just our brains and our and how we process information and our tribalistic instincts yeah. standing in the way of seeing things accurately, right? Right. We, we, we weave tales... <laughs> that are much more complicated than the reality of a situation might actually be. I, I, you know, I'm thinking about it, you know, all kinds of things, but I, even, even uh, thinking about the, 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 the truck strike going on in, mm-hmm. in Canada, where the, the dominant narrative as presented by the people who are reading the strike is that all this conglomerate of uh, shadowy economic people on the planet are going to reset the planet into a socialist Marxist situation. And only we truckers and QAnon folks have our eyes open. We see the reality and we're trying to honk our horns and and beat it into you. Now that's very much like frogs thinking they see the reality and they aren't. (laughs) And, and, And they want to maybe but maybe they're just so convinced that they're not going to even consult with anybody else afterward. And by the way, if you're halfway along your trip already, isn't it worth going the other half just to see what you might encounter? Yeah, you've already climbed <laughs> up the mountain, so now you just have to hop down the mountain and continue on your way, right? Yeah. So, do you think that these frogs were actually friends? I think they could have been. I don't think they were friends. I think they had a moment and they missed it. The moment when they were helping each other, uh, if they had not just looked and said, oh, if they had considered, 
if they'd gotten back down for a minute, if they'd looked at each other, if they'd thought about where their eyes are, if they if they'd had those conversations that went deeper, <laughs> then I think they would have been. Yeah, there's the moment where the Kyoto frog says, you know, Osaka is just a copy of Kyoto, and as he's saying it, he lets go, and both frogs fall down. Yeah. And that's where you realize, you know, despite their friendly interaction, and it says they have a polite goodbye and stuff, there was never any real deep meaning or understanding of the other frog. And if there was, then the story would not have concluded the way it, it did. There, there couldn't, it couldn't have, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, th- th- it's a really interesting tale. Is there anything else that, that sticks out to you that you think we, you should, we should mention? Only in the broader sense that uh, two things, and we've said it before, but I think we say it now because I think it'd be fun to go on and do do some more of these. You know? Oh so yeah, we, we, just as like we, we we can go back and do a scene from another movie or TV mm-hmm. and and talk about it because it's on the ground stuff. Folk tales aren't necessarily made to teach a single moral. Uh, Although people are used to the taglines from Grimm's fairy tales, although they're not used to Grimm's real fairy tales because they were hmm. much more potent than the ones we have now. Um, these are not one-offs where you you just say, well, this is the meaning of this story. And I hope that what we're, our conversation is saying, let's take a funny little story about two frogs, an ancient story, and see what we can come up with. And... So there's many, there are many. Uh, what what would be the phrase now culturally? Easter eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Embedded in such a tale, and and again, if you encounter another translation of the tale, I I, I would encourage. It, it takes two minutes. You, you you read another version. There are many on the internet, and there are books in the library, and and, and uh, you'll find um, subtle differences mm. that might make you take a different view again. On the tale, so I think it's it's very important to say that th- this is open ended, uh, but also that again we are not Americans uh, saying, well, we just know the the meaning of this story. We we are uh, two American fellows who uh, from different generations who uh, like to think uh, openly and broadly and stumble over each other's uh, ideas and <laughs> and run into humility a whole lot and then that. And so we're not saying this is what it means to a, a, a citizen of Japan mm-hmm. or somewhere else on the planet. It's just that uh, it maybe we could. T- I'd love to hear from people what they think the story is about. Yeah, that's the that's the beauty of it, right? Uh, and that's what's great about the folk tales, right? One of my favorite things to read through. I have this old book of of Aesop's fables. Yeah, just reading through them because there's this concentrated. Um, they have this concentrated nature and you know as you're reading it right okay this is what i'm taking from it because of my my background because of what i know and this is the lesson i'm drawing from it but there's a lot of things that i'm missing and that's what makes them really fascinating is that i'm sure there's people out there um that are listening to some of the things we've said and thinking, oh wow, I haven't thought about it that way. That's that's an interesting insight. And there's other people that are saying, well, you didn't talk about this part of it, and it's it should be smacking you right in the face, right? right, right. And that's that's sort of the beauty of of these things is that there's these short, concise stories, 
But the short, concise story that they're telling is just the surface of of what's believed to launch a, a, to launch thinking to launch discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I say it's like a, a, a Zen koan. Uh, there, there's one that that fits with it. I think uh, a monk asks Kigan. We don't need to ask who Kigan is at the moment. How does an enlightened one return to the ordinary world? Kigan replied, a broken mirror never reflects again. Fallen flowers never go back to the old branches. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole discussion built into that, but you see, but to me, it's about returning. Did, did the frogs become enlightened? No, they had a false enlightenment. And and so their mirror was broken before they even uh, got, and thus they fell down. They they went their separate ways. Yeah, man, it's a fascinating story. Like you said, I can't wait to look at some more of these from from different parts of the world. And um, you know, I if if you're good with it, I'd like to do several of them in a row. I would. And then yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, we we'll get we'll go in and out of some more other stuff and I'm sure we'll, we'll have ones that pop up from, from time to time, but it was a lot of fun. So until next time, keep pondering.